take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about cultural responsiveness in education and why that is so important for wellbeing and achievement for our young people. My guest today is Nathan Rickey, who is a Kahuiako lead teacher based at Brains Intermediate in Christchurch. Nathan has been really active in supporting schools and communities to take this mahi on board and to do more work to ensure that our students are working in environments that respect and acknowledge and value who they are and their cultural identity. Kia ora, Nathan. We're delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, very exciting to be able to talk about something I'm passionate about. Good to have you here. Tell us, first of all, what do you mean by cultural responsiveness and why is it so important in education? Uh, Yeah, so I guess cultural responsiveness is a term that's been used quite a lot over the last few years in education. Uh, For me, it's about... not necessarily being responsive to the different cultures in our education, but it's about, I guess, going back to our founding document, the Treaty of Waitangi, and realising why it's important um, to be able to cater for the two different cultures within our uh, amazing country, Māori and, um, and the Crown, the people that signed the treaty. So for me, it's about coming up with strategies, ideas and ways to be able to ensure that the, the Māori students in our schools, the Māori students in our education system feel like they belong uh, in a system that is quite heavily, I guess, based around Eurocentric beliefs and values. Uh, for me, and, and part of the mahi that I do is ensure that, um, you know, our Māori students feel safe and at home to learn in Aotearoa alongside um, people from from other other cultures. Culturally responsive practice, I guess, is is a term that um, a lot of people are familiar with but don't really understand. So my role, I guess, in education is to help our educators understand that and to give them, uh, I guess, positive ways and ideas to be able to to uh, make the Māori culture or te ao Māori in Aotearoa come alive. And and I guess, you know, pulling back a little even, it's important to to remind people and share with people that um, two two really important points. One, one that the the Treaty of Waitangi guarantees protection, partnership and participation for Māori in all important areas of life, including education. And then the other side is that um, that participation and that protection for a long time hasn't really happened. And when we look at the big picture of education achievement in New Zealand, we see that um, systematically Māori are not achieving at the same level. And um, 
and that that protection and that that that's provided for in the treaty isn't actually hap- isn't being enacted, and so that there is a responsibility to do more. And I know that um, you know it it comes down to to that simple thing of if the classroom doesn't look and feel like a place where you see your culture, where you see um, where success isn't, doesn't look Māori and there aren't um, Māori icons and leaders being discussed as role models, it's very hard to have that picture of success in your head. It's very hard to believe that this is a place for people like you to get on and do well, isn't it? Definitely. Quite often I relate back to my experiences as a child in, in high school and the fact that I am Māori and I am Pākehā as well. I'm uh, two cultures coming in, uh, I guess, together as one. And for me, walking in between two worlds when I was at school uh, was really hard and I ended up having to, I guess, hide my identity and hide who I was, which, you know, when I think about that now, um, as an educator myself, it wasn't okay. It sh- I shouldn't have had to have done that when I was going through my my life and uh, schooling as a as a rangatahi as a youth. So part of the main one of the main reasons that I, I kind of picked this up as my passion is to to ensure that this type of thing doesn't happen for our our youth our rangatahi um, now because it isn't okay. So uh, I made it my lifelong goal to find students like myself, like the, the person I was when at school who was confused and who chose to hide his culture, um, I could get away with, with uh, I could get away with not being Māori. So it was, um, I chose to do that instead and that wasn't okay. So I find, I like to find students like myself and help them reconnect and, and um, I guess find their identity. And, and, and strive and succeed as Māori. We hear, we hear this term being used so much, Māori achieving success as Māori, and it's super important because, you know, the education system for Māori back in the days of our ancestors, it didn't look like this, you know. We were, um, they, you hear the, the, the term, it takes a village to raise a child, and that was very much what it was like for our ancestors. Everyone was involved with our learning uh, it was, you know, the whānau, the, the hapori, everyone out in the community was all involved in this learning, and that's what we need to remember. And that's, you know, a large part of the mahi that I do is help reconnect tamariki with their whānau, bring them all into the schooling environment with the community, iwi, hapu, that type of thing. Um, it's super important. I'm coming from the well-being side of things, and one of the things that struck me for a long time was that um, what... Māori educators were advocating for people like Angus McFarlane, Sonia McFarlane, Russell, Russell Bishop, Mary Berryman. What they were advocating for for Māori students to be able to belong and achieve within education was entirely consistent with what the science of well-being says we should do to support well-being and achievement in a school. You know that really what we're talking about is that the the person who arrives into the school gets to be seen and known for who they are as a person that you know and I I know that it's talked about in terms of their prior cultural knowledge and toolkit is valued but it's that thing of that schools want to know the whole person want to know the whānau behind them um, and value and respect their knowledge and that the place where they learn um, enables a genuine sense of belonging
We know that we know all of that supports well-being, and in turn, that then supports achievement. So, there's a total alignment there. Mm, definitely. So, and I'm in no means uh, a true expert in this co-popper. I'm just someone who's very passionate about what I do. Um, and you know, the, the people that you mentioned before, the, the researchers, you know, the the, the of this co-popper are amazing, and everything that I do is based off those people. Um, but one of my personal beliefs is that every child brings their mana to the classroom. You know, their mana, their, it's the sense of who they are and, and uh, all the things that achieve and contribute to that mana. And as educators, it's important to know that. It's, a, it's important to know that our tamariki have this mana and that we do everything we can to be able to build upon that mana rather than take away from it. Uh, Matua Angus talks about that a lot and making sure that, you know, students feel like you uh, believe in them and you know that they can succeed and you're, you have a vested interest in who they are, what is in their toolkit, what's in their kete, what they bring to the classroom and you use that stuff to help them achieve. I feel like this is a concept that New Zealand should be exporting to the rest of the world, the concept yep. of mana, that, that sense of... Um, respect for the dignity of a human being and their humanity and their worth because of who they are, not because of what they've proven to you on a test or who their parents are or what they do, but that, that very much that, that human dignity. And I really think it's a really useful yardstick to have in any school that the interactions we have with students should be mana-enhancing. Mm-hmm and not manner crushing. I think it's quite a high standard that we wouldn't always be passing if you think about some of the ways that we provide feedback or manage discipline, you know. Yeah, and uh, I think it's important to realise too that um, although this whakaro and these beliefs are, um, you know, largely based on our tamariki Māori, uh, Mason Jury, I believe he says um, what works well for Māori will work well for everyone. So having that um, knowledge, I guess, in the back of your mind when you are thinking about these strategies and, and these terms like mana um, and, you know, your kete, that type of thing for our Māori students, but also not forgetting that, you know, we're a very diverse um, country. We're very lucky to have a lot of different cultures here. So, of course, yes, we need to focus on our Māori culture first because that's who we are. We're a bicultural country first. But, you know, once we get that stuff right, it's just going to flow on to all other cultures, you know. It's, it's, it's just good education. It's good teaching. Yeah. Uh, so if we, think about, if we think about cultural responsiveness as creating, um, responding to the needs of the, the student who's in front of us or the teacher, and the staff room, yeah? Um, what are the things, you know, if you were going in to advise a school that felt like they hadn't done much in this space and you wanted to support them, where would you say to start and what would be some of the things you'd want to see them doing? I think uh, for me, the first thing when I go into a school, the first thing I do is sit down with staff and we just have a, a quarter or a bit of a talk, a bit of a wānanga about the why. For me, the why is important. Because you can tell staff or you can tell people within a school to do things, and yep, sure, they might do it. But if they don't truly understand 
the why first, then I don't think they will have a vested interest in making sure that these things are happening within their school. So the first thing is to develop a shared vision as to why we want to do what we're going to do. And then it's about breaking it down into small steps and scaffolding the process for our teachers. So I quite often base a lot of the mahi I do off uh, the document Tantai Apple, um, just for the for the fact that it's got f- five important Māori values within this document that really outline and help schools to um, I guess break apart the importance of cultural responsiveness, culturally sustaining practices or whatever they want to call it and um, then bring it back together and move forward. I guess the two important ones in terms of well-being would be whanaungatanga. Whanaungatanga is, is about relationships and for me that's vital. It's the, the top of the ladder. It's the thing that's most important for me because if you don't have relationships with your tamariki, with your staff, with your whanau, with the community, then um, nothing else will work. So whanaungatanga is about helping schools realise Yes, first of all, the importance of relationships, but then giving them practical ideas and strategies to be able to develop those relationships and build upon those relationships uh, with all stakeholders within a school. Uh, Manakitanga is about care, you know, it relates back to protection, I guess, in, in, in the treaty that you talked about earlier. It's about care and respect, not only for our tamariki, but for the, the tikanga. Uh, for te reo Māori, uh, for te ao Māori and for all their um, different beliefs and values and, I guess, um, their mana as well. What are some of the things that you've done at your school? You know, some of the practical strategies that, that allow these values to, to be lived? Yep, so I guess it starts with the staff. Like I said before, it's just about um, informing them of those values and I'm still working through that process with my staff. You know, we're unpacking each one, what it looks like. Um, but for me, I guess one of, one of the a really successful strategy, strategy that I implemented was developing a whānau class at Brent's. Um, before, I guess I was there, we never had an opportunity for our Māori students as little as it was, 12%, I think, on the roll when I first started it, but that doesn't take away from, um, you know, the manner of what this group became, uh, was to develop a final class. And it was a chance for me, uh, I guess, to meet with the Māori students in our school and um, teach them new karakia. I met with them two mornings a week and some afternoons, teach them new karakia, kōrero Māori, teach them our tikanga, our whakapapa, and uh, just to celebrate. It was an opportunity for them to celebrate being Māori. You know, we'd have kai together and, and things like that. And they got a lot of mana in the school from this classroom. The first year we opened, well, I started this whānau class, uh, they actually ran a noho marae for the rest of the school. Um, and they did everything, the teaching of all the different activities and everything. And uh, from that they got a lot of mana uh, within the rest of the school and, and it was really awesome to see. Another great thing about this whānau class is it's a really good connection to the whānau. Um, if you ask a lot of schools, uh, there have been a lot of unsuccessful whānau hui out there. I developed a bit of, I guess, a kete of resources and strategies to ensure that my whānau hui were successful to the point where now I'm just, uh, to every whānau hui I get 60, 70 uh, members plus uh, to each one, which is amazing. So what's your recipe 
for the successful whanau hui? I'm sure a lot of schools would like to would like to know. Yeah, I bet they would, and I do share this quite a lot. So for me, um, the first thing I guess is realizing uh, why it has been hard to hold whānau hui in the past, why a lot of our whānau, um, particularly Māori, Pacifica too, don't feel like they can come into school uh, for a hui. And um, I use a, a story which I shared, um, I've shared quite a few times, but a story that I heard by uh, Alex Hortedy Brown, who, uh, Barnes, sorry, who works for Core Education. And he likens it to, um, if I was to invite a, um, a group of people that weren't very familiar with Tao Māori into a marae and said, we're going to have a pōwhiri. Um, it's going to be very formal. We're going to have a lot of, you know, big wigs from Tao Māori there and um, we're going to be front and centre, right sitting up there in the middle of this pōwhiri um, and we're going to have to, you know, some of us are going to have to speak. We're going to have to do all the right protocol and everyone will be watching instantly. You know, people are thinking, oh, no, it's not good. Um, what if I say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, am I wearing the right clothes and so on. So I, I liken that to the fact that do you think maybe that's what our Māori whānau might feel like when they come into our schools? Are they thinking, oh, I have to talk to the principal or what if I say the wrong thing, am I wearing the right clothes? So how do we make sure that our kura or where we hold our whānau hui resemble the values of say the marae where our Māori whānau might feel comfortable and feel safe? And how do we make sure that those two places aren't different? How are they um, the same? So I guess the recipe is about removing the barriers. And so for me, things like, you know, the time, holding it at an important time where our whānau, majority of our whānau have finished work, but it's not too late for them to bring their small kids because that's important. They need to be able to bring all of the whānau. So holding it at an important time. I always say 5.45, it works for me every time, and that's my time that I have developed and, uh, and I will always stick by. Holding it in a place where if they do bring extended members of whānau, little kids, that type of thing, they have something to do while you have that wānanga or whānau hui. So I'm lucky enough to have a, a preschool on site at our intermediate, and I always hold it there because it's a nice warming place um, where the kids can roam and, and play outside or with the toys and things like that. Kai, important to have kai. You know, kai is, is what our ancestors base their lives around. It's about sharing, you know, sitting around the fire, sharing kai, talking, that type of thing. It comes from that, that kind of whakaro. Um, ensuring that, you know, at first when you hold whānau hui, nothing is to be expected of the people that arrive and that they know that. Um, one of the worst things that you could do is invite your whānau in and then make them all stand up and do their pepeha, especially in a place where whānau hui are becoming quite new. For a lot of our Māori, they don't know their pepeha. And, and to be asked to stand up and say it is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a way to kind of Fuck it, it's it's humiliate, yeah. It's like the, the, the shame of it, yeah. I've been in that situation myself before, and it's um, it's not very nice. So um, now it would be okay. I know I've become fluent and I've reconnected, but back then it wasn't. So just really informal, come in, have a kai, let's have a chat, um, have a quarter or let's meet each other again in relationships, tanga, that type of thing um, is super important. And then as you start to develop a good base for your whānau hui, then you can introduce things like, here's some post-it notes, write down some ideas. If you've got them, 
about what we could be doing for our tamariki Māori and, and chop, them, chop them up on the, on the window as you walk out or something like that. So really, you know, non-threatening. Um, and the most important one for me is giving them a purpose to come in. And for me, the whānau class is key for that because through the whānau class, I would ensure that they were doing things at each of the whānau hui. So they were delivering a, a karakia that they've learned or, you know, singing a waiata or um, talking about a, a new kaupapa that we were learning about in whānau class, so that type of thing. So giving them a purpose and a reason to come in. You know, kids, parents will always want to watch their kids doing things. Although they might not want to come and listen to the teacher at all, but my golly, they want to watch their kids yeah, doing things. Exactly. Yeah. And I always say, um, I always limit the amount of teachers that are at them too because I, I find that can be a bit of a put-off for some people. So, um, you know, two or three, maybe four max amount of teachers there, you know, after school. And I always get them to dress down, you know. It's an informal. It's, you know, put on your, your, your dress, you know, the clothes that you might be wearing, you know, around the house and, and just kind of come as yourself. Remove your, your principal full-time or your yeah. teacher full-time, yeah. So. That's some of the things, I guess, that have helped me to, to run really successful whānauhui. I'm always struck in this work by um, the humanity of it, you know. that. Um, so I'm originally from Ireland. I've lived in Italy. Kai is really important. Sitting down, breaking bread is... We're talking about things that are about human beings getting to feel comfortable um, and and allowing us to have that sense of safety and belonging. That's important to all of us, wherever we're from. Yeah. Um, and that, I, I, think, I think Mason Jury really does hit the nail on the head when he says what's good for Māori will be good for yeah. all of us. What are your next steps then? Um, you know, what else have you been doing at Brains or what else do you suggest people try? My sister works in, in this kaupapa as well, Janelle uh, Ricky. She works for Core Education, but it's kind of basing, she does the same mahi as I do. And she always talks about the fact that you should be able to stand in a school, in any part of the school, and know that you're from or you're standing in a country with two cultures evident. So I should be able to stand... Um, in the staff room or in the reception of a school. I should, and, and you should be able to see, hear, feel Te Ao Māori as well as, you know, Te Ao Pākehā too, where, where two cultures coming together, you know, as one. So if she, she challenges people to go walk through their schools and with, I guess, the lens of, of uh, a whānau member and say, if I come to this school, are my children going to be able to have the opportunities to learn in, through, and about their culture? And the in, through, and about is, is uh, the most important thing. So for me, I guess, is ensuring that my kura and the kura that I have interactions with through my role as the kahuiako lead uh, are kura, are spaces where this can happen. I think you heard the story I told about the boy in my sister's class who threw a, a, um, an integrated unit, I guess, into their whakapapa, he learned he whakapapa back to a parihaka. And, and that changed the person who he was because no longer did he see the need to 
get angry at everything because he had those two amazing ancestors that he fucker papa to, and and it changed the way he walked around the school, which then in turn fed back to his whānau, who were quite disconnected with their culture at the time, because he was excited about something, they became excited, and you know you can see just by making these small differences, all she did was plan a unit on looking into their fucker papa rather than just saying their pepeha. Let's learn about it. And, you know, it was a, a wave effect of, of amazing things that happened in that boy's in that boy's whānau. So, you know, I think well-being, that, that example there is well-being down to a T. That, that is what um, we need to do for all of our tamariki. I feel like we're very fortunate here in that I feel like they're starting 10 steps ahead in that none of these overseas models have anything about connection to place and planet and the importance of knowing that we are human beings who live on a living planet Mm -hmm. and our connection to that and how we sustain it and it sustains us. And I talk to anyone in Te Ao Māori, and that's really, really evident. And when we talked about what allowed people to to experience resilience, it was often getting home, getting back to their kāinga, getting back to their tūranga waiwai, and people described a settling and a calm. It's a much more impoverished model that doesn't have that in it. Yeah, a Māori word that I learnt, I guess, on my journey to becoming um, a Māori speaker, and it's ukaipo, um, and it's a word that I use quite a lot now, and just because I love the the way the word is structured. So u um, meaning a breast of a female breast, kai as in kai, and poor as in night. It references back to a mother feeding her baby in the middle of the night, and there's no other place that that mother or that baby would rather be than at that moment in time. And so ukai poor is a, is a word that you can use for, the, for a place you connect to like that, or where you feel safe, or where you feel connected. I just love the, the meaning of that word, and I use it quite a lot with my corridor. My papa to the North Island through my father, to Whangaroa, to Raglan, and um, I don't go up there enough, but when I do go up there and when I am on my marae, something within me just changes, and I just feel like I can go, ah, oh, you know, and It's getting out of breath of yeah. being there. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, with my, my tipuna buried in the urupa, and I just, I just feel different. Although I didn't grow up there, I wasn't a marae baby, I feel like when I go there, I've lived there my whole life. So for me, I, I totally relate to that and the importance of the whenua, the importance of the land. Um, you know, without the land, where would we be? So how important is it to you that this work isn't just happening by one teacher in a whānau class, but yeah. how do we change the, the ethos and commitment that's happening to this work in staff rooms? So for me, that that kaupapa is actually I'm I'm kind of on a bit of a an inquiry I guess with my kahuiako role and and my main kaupapa within that inquiry was um, all to do with capabilities and confidence. So teachers, I guess, due to a lack of capabilities or skills within this area leads to a lack of confidence to be able to, you know, teach the real Māori and teach about tikanga and, and, and teach about that type of thing. So for me, that was my my one kind of kaupapa that I have been following over the last few years in this role. And it's not okay, like you said, for for 
one teacher to be running this kaupapa. It's not okay for one teacher to be going around all the classrooms teaching to their Māori half an hour a week, that type of thing. That's not okay. It's a What needs to happen is it needs to be, I guess, a, uh, for lack of a better term, it's got to be... Um, you know, a collaboration between all the different staff members. So ensuring that, yes, schools do have uh, experts or schools do have, um, a lot of schools have people that are passionate about this kaupapa, but they need to ensure that they're sharing their successes and their ideas and their strategies with the rest of the staff so that they, the staff themselves, can become the experts as well. And schools need to realise that if they do have those experts on staff, that they need to look after them. Because too often do I see, um, you know, a Māori member of staff tasked to do all the te reo Māori teaching within the school, come up with the tikanga plan, write policies on the treaty, write policies on um, the why, the how of te ao Māori. It's not fair on this teacher. So it needs to be a shared vision and it needs to be a shared goal. We're talking about making the classroom a place where Māori, um, tamariki and rangatahi can feel at home and valued. How about the staff room? What's happening there? If you don't get that the staff room right, then I don't think the classroom will follow in a positive way, I guess, because if the teachers aren't walking the walk, then, you know, how do you expect them to actually, you know, talk the talk out in the classroom? So I think at first getting the uh, the feel within the staff room, getting the the tanga and the tanga with the teachers first and in the staff room right um, from the beginning, then that is a, a really good way to be able to ensure that it flows onto the classroom. So for me, I guess um, doing a lot of the stuff I do, I would do with kids, but doing it with the staff, you know, in this area, it works really well. So, um, you know, having the staff learn about each other, doing uh, tanga activities within the staff room, because... Quite often, I'll, I actually run a whanaunga tanga activity where I get the, the staff members to stand on the compass points of a compass within the room. Um, and in a, So I'll put north, south, east, west on the wall, and I say to the person, the teachers, go stand somewhere in the room where you're ukaipo and just relate the room to Aotearoa, so the north being the top of the north, south being, and so on. And I'll, the teachers will do that, and then I'll say, talk to the people around you about why you're standing where you're standing. And so many times I've worked in schools where staff have worked together for years where they're learning new things about each other. So making sure that, you know, they have the opportunity to get to know each other on that next level uh, will always help when you're trying to introduce these different, I guess, ideas, philosophies, values, that type of thing within, within the staff room, within the teachers. I think anyone listening will be grateful for the ideas that you've been sharing with us today. And if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being, what would it be? Maybe just ensure that I have frequent opportunities to be around my whānau and my friends. I find that whenever I am feeling stressed or whenever I, I guess, am feeling like I've got too much on my plate, whenever I go back to my whānau and go back to my friends, it kind of brings me back down to earth a bit because it helps me realise what's important in life.
And yet I find I will be there in the beginning. They were there in the beginning and they'll be there at the end. Everything else in between, you know, that's just super (laughs) (laughs) And then, well, you kind of answered my last question, which is what's your go-to strategy for boosting your well-being? When you get really frustrated or down, is there another strategy you use in, in addition to connecting with your whānau? Exercise for me is, is super important. Um, if I'm feeling stressed or down, if I'm not with whānau or I don't have the opportunity to be with them, then I need to exercise. Get out and move. <laughs> yeah, get out and move. Enjoy enjoy the, you know, what, what the whenua has to offer us. It's, a, it's an amazing countryside that we live in, so um, we need to value it and cherish it. Kia ora, Nathan. Thank you so much for being with us today. We've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been awesome speaking to you too. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their wellbeing and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.